I got to do one more thing just, just before. I don't, I don't know if you've started the recording. I don't care if you have, but do catch this intro. But you got to listen to this joke. Settled happily into his Super Bowl seat, Himalayan hide behind, behind the end zone, terrible seat. Joe spots an empty seat low and on the 50-yard line. He descends to it and asks the man seated next to him why this wonderful seat is unoccupied and, and if he can sit there. And the guy says, yes. And so, the, uh, so Joe says, well, why is this seat open? And he says, it's mine. I was supposed to come with my wife, but she died. And this is the first Super Bowl since 1967 that we have not attended together. And Joe says, but couldn't you find a friend or relative to come with you today? And no, the man replies, they're all at the funeral. <laughs> come on. <laughs> I love that joke. I love that joke. It's a horrible and funny. <laughs> all right. You're get the timer going, and if you can start the recording now, great. If you've already started it, I don't care. All right, so here we go. Uh, we have been talking about simple obedience, and just to bring everybody up to speed on this, let's be really careful about what simple obedience actually is. It's real simple. God is talking to you all the time. Whether you hear him or not, whether you know it or not, whether you believe it or not, God is talking to every person all the time. Oh, what's going on? Am I, what have I done? Have I done something or... Anyway, God is talking to you all the time. Now, one of the things we're learning since the beginning of the year is, is one of the reasons why we don't hear him all the time. So just be frank and let's be real. And it's, you know, God is good and all of that. But the bottom line is, is we don't hear him all the time because we're not actually that intimate with him. We don't actually take the time in the day to spend that time with him, to be in his scripture, to just talk to him in prayer. We don't actually, like we would friend, that we would have to get to know. We don't actually spend the time that it takes to learn what his voice sounds like. To, is he okay? I'm so sorry. Yes, Max. Is Max okay? He just got an operation yesterday, and I forgot to call yesterday, and I feel terrible about that. He's Okay. I'd love to talk to you afterwards, would you? Okay. And Lord, in Jesus' name, we pray for complete and utter healing for Max. God, just absolutely heal him up perfectly. Have that, everything that they've done, have them get it perfectly. And God, in Jesus' name, have him back and ready to go and fully into you quickly. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Okay, sorry about that. But I have no idea where I was. Uh, but, but so the point is he's talking to you all the time. We don't know that because we're not actually that intimate with him. And even if we are, do remember there's always this thing of sometimes you feel like Lord's telling you something and it may not be him. So there is that little thing you got to do about making sure him. And once again, this is simply time. A lot of experience, a lot of trying. And then you discover what is and what isn't and more, better and better do you get at actually hearing what he's saying. But once you have a sense that this really is God speaking to you, then now watch. This is what simple obedience is. It doesn't matter if you want to do it or not. It doesn't matter if you like it. It doesn't matter if you agree with it. It doesn't matter if you understand it. It doesn't matter. The only thing that matters once you feel like the Lord's telling you to do something, the only thing that matters is, did you do it? That's it. Simple obedience. Right? You don't need anything else. You just need to know what he's saying and then do it. And if he fills you in other details, great. That was for some reason that he wanted, but it's not necessary. I will simply obey. Now, no, we're talking about this in, of course, the big things of life, but that's the one that everybody knows. When you're talking about moving or when you're talking about getting a new job or when you're talking about who you're going to marry or you're talking about these big life-changing things, we all know to go to God, right? So if you're a Christian, if you're not, welcome, lovely to have you here. But the bottom line is, is that if you know him, you know to seek him on the big stuff. So really simple, and simple obedience is in play there too. But really what simple obedience is about, what I think the Lord is trying to bring home to us is this. He's trying to say, what about in that moment? At work, see somebody across the way, God tells you to go to him standing in a line. There's somebody standing here. God says, see, there, you're standing in a line. That line is going to dissipate within a minute, and that moment is gone. There's never another chance to get that moment back. 
We're talking about the simple obedience in the smallest whisper of the Holy Spirit to your heart. In that still, small, quiet voice. In that just breath. When he goes, we catch it and say, okay. That's what simple obedience is learning how to do, right? So that's what we're doing. Now, when we do that, one of the things we do, and I want you to reach down and pick Trey again. It's in front of you. But take a look at this. This is slow. Lord, what do you want me to do today? Now, this is that stop and pray card that we've been doing for a long time. And we're mixing up the words to sort of keep it fresh and have us thinking about it. But look at what that's saying. Lord, what do you want me to do today? Now, that's on your door of your house. And hopefully, if you can, it works. Sometimes you can. Sometimes you can. But when, whatever, whenever you're walking out of wherever you were into something else, into the world, we want you to be thinking about not my agenda, but yours. See? I'm busy. I'm going out there for a reason. I'm, I've got purpose. I'm doing what I'm doing. But the bottom line is, is stop yourself before you enter in and say, what am I first? A Christian, which means a follower of Christ, who wants me to do things. And I need to be available to do whatever he's telling me to do. That's our first requirement. Seek him first, we learned last week. And everything else is added to you. But keep him first. See it? So this is what we're doing, and this is exactly what Empowered's all about. Empowered is so simple. The Holy Spirit is inside of you, and he's leading you. And then when he tells you to do something, he's coming upon you to anoint you so that you can do it, which is to say so that he can do it through you. You see it? It's just the simplest thing. That's what Empowered is all about. Now, since the beginning of the year... Sermons that we've already looked at, God lined up. I didn't have anything to do with them. God lined up sermons about how to do this. He's been encouraging us to be simply obedient since the beginning of the year, right? And there's been some excellent on it. And thank you, God, for what you're doing. And he's teaching us what this is. Today, we're about to take a major hard right turn. If not, it's not full reverse by any means, but we're... We're about to, do, we're, we're going to do something today that's very difficult. In fact, let me, let me put it this way. Think about, okay, you're at work. You get that person that's sitting over there, and God says, go talk to him. Now, a scale of 10, 1 to 10 means really great at 10, and 0 is, eh, and then negative 10. Now, watch what happens. God tells us, go over and talk to that person. So you do, you catch it, you go over and you talk to them. You find out, oh, there's, they're ill. There's something wrong with them, they're ill. Oh, and then it's okay in that work environment. You've got to be sensitive. You don't want to get fired for it. But, but the Lord quickens and you can. And all of a sudden, the Lord has you and you say, may I pray for you? And they say yes. And you pray for them and I'll get healed. Now, where are you on that scale? You're way high. You're a 10, 11, you're a 1,000. Right? I, God told me just go talk to him, and then he healed somebody. This is phenomenal. This is the stuff. This is awesome. This is good stuff. More of that, God. Right? So you're all in. But now watch. What if you didn't go do that? What if you didn't go do it? That's what we're looking at. God's been encouraging us to do it, but we're going to be looking at today. What if you don't? So what if you didn't go do that? Now, to you... Watch how you're going to rate that. I didn't go talk to him. I had some sense that the Lord was telling me to go talk to him. I, I missed it, but okay. And so you're thinking it's a negative one or a negative two or, you see what I mean? It, it's like not good that you missed it, but you know. But how's God rating it? A tragedy. thing for that person not had. A blessing for you, not experienced. His will not being done. This is a negative 100. This is bad. This is not just not, this is, see the way we think of not being simply obedient is, it just means, you know, we just weren't obedient. But you know, God can work it out, and he can work it out. Let's be clear about that. But still, do you get what's being said here? Let's, let's take another example. You're in that line with that person. And, you know, you get a quickening to do, to talk to them. And so you, you turn to them and you say something. You know that it's God. You say something to them. And you have a nice, pleasant little conversation. God never comes up. You just have a nice little conversation. It makes you feel a little good and everything else. And then you get to the end of the line and you split and that's it. You never see them again. You never know what that was all about or anything else. Now, how do you feel? It's not a 10. 
But it's like a six or so, because, I mean, you know, God led you to do something, and he did it, and it was pleasant. Nothing bad happened, like you having to talk to him about Christ. <laughs> right? I mean, it was perfectly pleasant. So it's a six or something. You know, you obeyed. It was good. Now, how does God look at it? Won't. Or, excuse me, how do you look at it? Well, again, it's a negative one or two, right? You don't know any difference between this scenario and the other one. But, but what if God has you talking to them because he knows what's going on in their life? You don't and you won't ever until heaven. You will never know what that was all about. But God wanted them to have something that you had to say to them said through you. And it would have made a difference in them. Now, if you said that and you knew that, you would feel pretty good about what you did. Maybe not in a hundred, but you'd feel pretty good, right? But now how does God, when you miss that opportunity, how does he feel? Think about it for a second now. He loves you. I'm not saying he doesn't love you when you don't do it. Don't misunderstand me. But do understand something. How does he feel about it when somebody that he loves doesn't get helped? He feels terrible for them, right? This is bad. This is not okay. This is... Are we, are we tracking here? You see, our way of looking at these things and God's way of looking, our way of looking at not doing what he's leading us to do is very different than what he sees because he knows why he told us to do it. All right? Right here, this thing that we're talking about is going to cause Jesus to say the most difficult thing that he ever said to his disciples. I mean, rocked him. In, not rude, but right up in their grill in a huge way. And in a way that was shocking to them. And let me make something clear. By the time we're done, you're going to find out that it was shocking to them, but they still didn't quite understand what he was talking about. But we who have the advantage of having known what happened with Christ dying, see, think about it. They don't know that Christ is going to be leaving them soon. But we know that he did. So we understand the words that he's saying to them much more than they did. Which means that they're much more accountable to us. So I'm just telling you, in this sermon, I think God is going to say something to you that's one of the most important things, one of the most difficult things that he'll ever say. And with that, I want us to pray. I've asked Courtney Thorson. The Thorsons are pillars in this church. They are pillars in the community. They are incredible people of God who have affected so many people throughout their lifetime. And I just wanted her to represent what we want people to do. So would you pray for the sermon? Would you lift up another church? Heavenly Father, we thank you for being such a great God. Lord, you love us. You care for us. You want only the best for us. And Lord, you have also asked us to not take you lightly, but to really hold you in our hearts, Lord, to listen to you, to follow you. You've asked us, Lord, to be salt and light to the earth, not to be just hearers of the word, but doers also. And so, Lord, uh, help us to, at this time, just to set aside our worries and um, just the other things that are interfering, uh, perhaps thinking about an upcoming football game. And Lord, to listen intently to your word, to what Amen. Pastor Kurt has to say, to really uh, take it into our hearts, into our minds, and to apply what you have to our lives, God, so that we can go out this week and we can do what it is that you want us to do. Amen. Give us your boldness, your courage, your Holy Spirit to guide us in our words, in our actions. And Lord, we pray for um, Washington Cathedral that we Amen. pass every day, Lord. And uh, thank you for blessing them financially when they were under duress. And I pray that you would bless their congregation and that they too would be seeking you and doing your, your will. Amen. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You know, that just brings something to my mind, Courtney. That's so perfect. You know, we all drive past a lot of churches all the time when we're driving around. Just make a habit of praying for them when you go by them. 
mindful that they're there and they're trying to make Christ. And even if you don't like some of the things that they do, it doesn't matter. Just pray for them. Right? Why not? Okay. With that said, I've got to tell you one more. I've got to lay on one more layer so that we really get these verses right. They have the same impact in us that they did in the disciples and the more that God wants. Okay? Now, I just want to say, talk about Jim for a second. I've been talking about Jim and Dave, the two brothers that I lost just recently. And I just want you to know, I, I'm certainly still in shock. I'm in grief. I'm still really processing this huge. But I know that not everybody's there. Thank you for all of your kindness and your mercy that you've been showing me. But, but let me say, I'm not going to make it modeling around here. I'm going to be talking about them every week and doing all this kind of stuff. When something's important that I've learned from what God's been teaching me, I'm going to use it. But I'm going to try and use it without the sort of other baggage that's in my heart of the grief of it, right? So we're not going there in a deep way. But I just want to say, Jim died suddenly. No expectation, nothing. No warning, no nothing. It was just a phone call, and it was, oh, my God, right? There you go. Now, anybody who's had that happen, which at this point in time is a lot of people, and they have come up to me, and I'm now part of that club. And being part of that club, you do know something. And the something that you know is, we have this tendency to think that tomorrow is going to be like today was because the last day was like the day before. And the day before that was like the day before that. The day before that was like the day before that. And that went on for a very long time. And if I can put it properly, the way that I think about it, we fall into a slumber of just assuming that the way things were yesterday is the way that they're going to be tomorrow. We get that there's journey. We get that there's change. We get that there's some things that are going to happen and so on. But we don't really live in this place where nothing is, you can't take anything for granted all of a sudden. When you've had this sudden loss, you just can't take anything for granted. It's like even the sun coming up tomorrow has a question mark on it. I hope it does. I mean, you just, it just shakes you. I remember when we were in L.A., living in L.A., and we lived through the Northridge earthquake. And when the Northridge earthquake happened, the weird thing was, see, this, is, this isn't here, right? That's ground. Ground is terra firma. It's firm. Ground doesn't move. And in the Northridge earthquake, what happened was, is that it, what's it called? They, the earth liquefied. Liquefaction. Who was it? liquefaction. And when that happens, there were literally, and you could see them, there were waves. The earth turned into waves, and the waves were going, and you were standing on a wave. And this is not what you're supposed to be doing, and this is not okay. And you, you got sick, but it wasn't motion sickness like you would a boat on waves. It was that your mind couldn't comprehend why the terra firma wasn't firm anymore. This isn't okay. You know what I mean? And you were discombobulated. It was like, what the heck? Well, that's a lot what it's like to lose somebody. Suddenly, the things that you take for granted, you can't grant it anymore. And understand where we are in the story with the disciples is, Jesus is going to be gone, and they don't think that. They think that he's going to, the Messiah, who's going to come and, and, and set up a kingdom, and they're going to be reigning somehow with him in this kingdom. They're thinking that this stuff is going on forever. They're not thinking that he's going to die on a cross and be taken away from them. They don't have that in their minds at all. And it's going to happen. And Jesus is prepping them for when it happens. All the more so he's prepping us. Because what we do when we think that tomorrow is going to be like it was yesterday with some changes, what happens is, is that we get lulled into this slumber and then all of a sudden, everything changes. And we are not ready for it. We are not equipped to handle it. But in case, he's told us that the end is coming. And so we've been warned of it. Now, nobody said the earthquake is happening. Nobody said Jim is going to die. But Christ has said, I'm going to end this thing at some point. I'm going to come again, and I'm going to end. So we actually do have a warning. And this is exactly what he's doing right now, where he's telling the disciples about how he wants them to be in the interim. Okay? The 
part that we just read last week was, it started with the rich young ruler parable, moves on. And remember, at one point in time, he says, somebody asked him a question about inheritance, and he talks about, you know, inheritance and all that kind of stuff. But then, remember, in the, in the verses, he turns to his disciples. So during this passage that we're reading right now, he's talking to his disciples. That's who he's talking to. And that becomes very important here in a moment. But he gets famous part that we looked at at the end of last week, which was, seek ye first the kingdom of heaven, what it is to be right with God. Do that and everything else will be added to you, okay? So that's where we are, and now he said that. He's saying, don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about what you're going to have cold for cold. Just what we were saying today. That's why I said this is perfect. You know what I mean? Trust him. He's doing something. Trust him. Get your hands open, okay? All right, now, so what he does is, is he's still talking, and here's what he says. Look, be dressed for service and keep your lamps burning as though you were waiting for your master to return from the wedding feet. Now, they get that he's the master and they're the servants, so they understand that part of the parable. We all the more so. Then you will be ready to open the door and let him in the moment he arrives and knocks. The servants who are ready and waiting for his return will be rewarded. I tell you the truth, he himself will seat them, put on an apron, and serve them as they sit and eat. This is weird, don't you watch Downton Abbey, Jesus? <laughs> the servants are always ready for the master to return and be there supposed to be. And when he does, they take pleasure in serving the master, right? Who is taking care of all these people. It's a mutual exchange. So this is what the servants do. I tell you what doesn't happen. This master doesn't come home and say, oh, I'm so happy that you, were, that you had the house ready, that you had the food ready and everything. Let me serve it to you. That doesn't happen. So this is all, the disciples are going, huh? This is, discom this is flipping it on its head, right? Now see, we who know that he's going to die, raise again, go to heaven, and he's coming back. We who know all the rest of the story except what's going to happen next, and we even know that it's going to happen, just not when. We who know all of this, we look at this thing, and what we say is, is look, what he's saying is, he himself will sit them, put on an apron, serve them as they sit and eat, Okay, we also know this, wedding feast. That doesn't mean anything to these guys at this point in time. That's just a master going to a wedding feast. It happens all the time, right? And they can be for days or weeks, right? You would travel somewhere to a wedding feast and then come back, and the servants would be expected to be ready for you whenever you came back because they couldn't call you up on their cell phone and tell you that they were just about to be back. See, so the servants must be ready for whatever might happen. Now, we know something about this. We know that wedding feast is, is terms that are used advisedly by Christ. We know that the wedding feast is that time when we are united with him for eternity. This is the end of all things, and then we're brought to that wedding feast with him. And we know as Christians, we can read and understand that Christ is telling us right here that he will serve us at that wedding feast. Now, that doesn't seem right to us. Right? It'll be like, I'm so embarrassed to have you serving me. But nonetheless, it is his pleasure to do that. The master to serve the servants. But it's only the servants who are waiting. He'll talk about a servant that isn't ready and waiting in a second, and that's is where it's going to get hard. But let's just stick with this for a second. On, on the, in the metaphor, in the analogy, what is a servant supposed to be doing in the house? Keeping things clean, keeping things fixed, keeping things in order, having some food ready to go, having the lamps ready to go, having lights just in case he's coming right now outside. You see what I mean? They're making ready the way of the master, right? Now, what are we as Christians supposed to be doing while Christ is gone? We're supposed to be preparing the way of the Lord. That's what we're supposed to be doing. So in this, it's taking care of a house. What do we do as Christians to make ready? See, we have to have this attitude that he could come at any time. We do not have this attitude, do we? See, this is part of our slumber. Do you think that he's coming tomorrow? Do you? Nobody does. But what he's saying right here in this parable is, do you know I might come today? Forget about tomorrow. I might come before the Super Bowl, which would probably be an enormous relief to. Okay, sorry. <laughs> Just saying. 
You do realize that Bronco fans have had to put up the ignominy of owning every negative record in the Super Bowl. The most yardage, the most points, the most everything against them. You know that, right? I mean, Super Bowls are mixed bags for Bronco fans, okay? It's either that they were supposed to win handily and they are embarrassed magnificently, you know, historically, record-settingly, supposed to lose and they do well. Hence the one hope that I have today about the Broncos. Okay. But I want you to see what we're supposed to be doing, okay? What we're supposed to be doing is just what we said. What's the commandments? What's he tell us to do? Okay, is it to go out and work, 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 and, and you know, all, just go frantic and all that? No, here's what we're told to do. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your passion. This is all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, but this is the message, and I like it, and this one. All your passion, prayer, and intelligence. Everything you got. This is the most important and the first on any list. And then as we said last week, and I think this is really important, understand that the second one flows from the first. It's not a second one. It's a, if you do the first one, if you love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, with all your passion, all your intelligence, everything about, if you love him, you will come to love what he loves, which is what? Us. And so you will love each other. Not just Christians, people that don't know him, right? You will love them and you will go to them. That's what you will do. So the second is set alongside of it. Love others as you love yourself. Now that's what we're supposed to be doing. But let's be clear. What a synonym is, right? Two words that can basically be substituted. They mean roughly the same thing. I mean, they're not exactly, but you get it. There's synonyms in this instance where you can substitute the word. This is a synonym scripture for this synonym. If you are loving the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and that is resulting in you loving others as yourself, for real. That is the exact same way of saying this. Go into all the world, go everywhere, and announce the message of God's good news to one and all. This one that you've come to love, go into all the world and share him. Share him as much, any way, however you can, right? Whoever believes and is baptized is saved. Whoever refuses to believe is damned. And what he wants when he says that, he's not saying that as in, I don't know, there's just a weird way that we can read Scripture. I want you to read it from the way that God intended to say it. What he meant to say was, is somebody that you love is going to hell. That's bad. That's tragic. That's horrible. Wake up. Wake your slumber and know that it could happen. You're thinking you can witness to him a month from now or two years from now. It may be over tomorrow. That doesn't give you license to go and give them a track and get up in their grill and be so obnoxious that it doesn't bring them to Christ. It pushes them away. What it does give you, what it does make you do is say, every time you're with, are you aware of what might happen today? Are you allowing the Holy Spirit to speak to you in whatever way that he might want to do it? Don't be manipulative, but be led. Be anointed. Pray for them. It's not just right at the moment that you're thinking about it. You got somebody that you want to come to the Lord? Pray for them. Pray and then pray and then pray some more. I told you last week I prayed for some cousins for 10 years. And then about half of them came to the Lord in weird ways and suddenly, okay? So stick with it. <laughs> Be anticipating what can happen and stick with it. This is what he wants us doing, right? So look, here's how he says it. Look, Jesus is saying, look, I may come in the middle of the night or just before dawn, but whenever he comes, he'll reward the servants who are ready. Understand this. If a homeowner, who's the homeowner? Satan, we gave the world. He gave us the world and free will. We used our free will to give it to Satan. We gave dominion of it to Satan in the garden. Okay? So he's saying if the homeowner, Satan, knew exactly when I was going to show up again, Satan would not permit his house to be broken into. But he doesn't know the time. So you must also be ready all the time. The Son of Man will come when least expected. The Son of Man will come when least expected. You see, if you don't have the attitude that he can come today, if you don't live in the place of knowing that the slumber that you are allowed to be in, no, you're not in a slumber. You're not. We're not supposed to be in a slumber, period. But that it's a thing of mercy and patience by God that tomorrow would be roughly the same as today. Do you see that? And so don't presume on his patience. If you do, you can easily become like 
the Jewish people did. This is from the book of Malachi, which is the last time that Jesus spoke to the Jewish people before Jesus was born. 400 years gap. And then we call them the 400 silent years. Because God told them what was going on, and then he went silent because of what was going on. And what was going on was, you say, what's the use of serving God? This is what the Jews are saying. What have we gained by obeying his commands or trying to show the Lord of heaven's armies that we are sorry for our sins, of being repentant for what we've done wrong? From now on, we're going to call the arrogant blessed. For those who do evil, those are the ones that get rich, and I want to be rich. See it? And those who dare God to punishment, punish them, nothing. They mock God and nothing happens. So what's the point of worshiping him? Now what? See what? This is a progression, right? The first thing that you do is you say, look, look, I'm here. I'm comfortable. You know what I mean? Jesus is coming. It's been 2,000 years. I can maybe assume it's going to be 2,001 day. So I can kind of pursue my own agenda today. See, I can do what I want to do today because I'm going to know when he's coming back and I'm going to get some sense of it and then I can clean up my act then. And in so doing, we become just like St. Augustine when he said, Lord, help me be pure. Just not yet. See? And he means it. Oh, I didn't click the second one. But not yet. See it? Now here's what the Lord is trying to say to people who are willing to listen. Here's what he's trying to say to us right now, disciples and us. Here's what he's saying. Yes, it's been a long time. You can get comfortable thinking that it's going to be the same today and pursue your own agenda. You need to understand that that will eventually pervert into you thinking that I am not actually ever going to move. But I just want you to understand what's going on behind the curtain. I want you to see what's actually happening because right there in that Malachi verse, then those who feared the Lord spoke with each other, and the Lord listened to what they said. Do you understand? This is Malachi recording. God, Malachi has prophesied this prophecy. You say, I'm never going to come, and we go after. And then what Malachi is recording now is that there were certain people that, in, that they said, they listened to what the Lord said, in, his presence, a scroll, in God's presence, a scroll of remembrance written to record the names of those who feared him and who always thought about the honor of his name. And then the Lord says, they will be my people. Wait a minute. I'm a Jewish person. I'm a chosen. I, you know, I'm a Jew, so of course I'm chosen. Let's see what he's saying. Well, wait a minute. I'm a Christian. Saved, always saved. Okay. On that day, they will be my people. says, on that day when I act in judgment, they will be my own special treasure. I will spare them as a father spares an obedient child. Then you will again see the difference between the righteous and the wicked, between those who serve God and those who do not. Are we, are we getting what he's doing here? And you need to understand, we get the fullness of what they've got, what Jesus is saying here. They've got the problem of they don't understand that he's about to leave, so they're trying to wrestle through all this stuff, and then something very significant happens. See, now watch. He says it's when you least expect it. Now Peter hears this, and thank God for Peter. I mean, do you understand how much richer Peter makes a scripture by being just like us? And what Peter says is, is he just blurts it out and he goes, he, oh, I'm sorry, work hard to show the results. This is that, I'm sorry, back up for just a second. Forget about the Peter thing. Here's what God wants. There's a, there's a passage that says, um, in fear and trembling, work out your salvation. That's the way it's phrased. This is the phrase, this is the same scripture, but phrased differently. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence. Okay, what this means is I need to go out and I need to, you know, beat myself. And I need to, I can't watch the Super Bowl because if God forbid I should, you know, have some joy like that. And I can't ever have a drink of wine because that would just be horrible. And I can't ever do, you know what I mean? What I got to do is I got to just lock myself down and do everything. You know, do you remember God's the one who created the feasts? Times of enjoyment. God is the one who created fruit. God is the one who created beautiful places for us to go and to enjoy. And God, the, always remember something. God never has, God does not have an issue with giving you everything and more than ever thought or imagined. In fact, that's what he's going to do with every person that knows him. 
The problem is us. We're the ones that can't handle the prosperity. We're the ones that can't handle the good things that God does for us. We take them and we get into a slumber and we lose it. So Paul is saying about your salvation with fear and trembling, but now watch. I used NLT because of this. For God is working in you. See, it's not you doing all the things I was just talking about. It's not you becoming some ascetic or some monk or some whatever. It's not you doing this. It's God doing something in you. All he's saying is, let God do what he wants to do in you. The work that you're supposed to do. Just let him do what he wants to do. So, for God is working in you, giving you the desire. Just read that? Read that. Read it with me. Giving you the desire. But I didn't want to do what you wanted me to do, God. You know one of the best things you can ever say to God when God tells you to do something? One of the best things you can ever say? I want to do that. You know one of the worst things you can ever say? Okay, and not really mean it. Right? Much better to, I don't want to do that. Help me want to do that. Right? Help me. I need your help. I am not there. Help me want this. That's the right prayer. That's what he's saying. God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power. Who's doing it? Was it you? Was it you that brought anybody ever to the Lord? The only thing you ever did was went up to them with your feet and maybe opened your mouth. But all the work was on God. It was just you trusting him to be where he wanted you to be. That's it. Right? Do we all get this, right? Do we live it? And this is what Jesus is trying to get to. And so what he says is, he says, look, I want you to be the kind of people, well, people will know you because of your fruit. See, the stuff that comes out of you, the stuff that you do, when, when we let him work through us, it produces fruit. Right? That, he's really good at that. Okay. Now, now we're to that Peter part. Okay? Now, quick. Peter asked, now watch, he's been talking, remember I told you, he's been talking to the disciples, and he's saying some weird stuff. I'm going to be serving you, and then there's, I'm coming when you least expect it. He's not understanding what this means, so there is a little confusion in him, but it also, there's some warning in what Jesus is saying. This is not how he normally talks to them. Do you understand the difference in tone? We've been looking at Luke for a few years now. We've never heard Jesus talk to them like this. He talks to religious people like this. He says bad things about them. But now all of a sudden, he's talking to us in a tone that's like, so Peter asks him, is this an illustration for us or is it for everybody? You know, God, the way you're talking is making me uncomfortable, but you're surely talking to those people, right? Because we're in. We got it. Right? You see it? Who's this for? I love what Jesus does right here. He never directly answers it, even though he really answers it. But he doesn't say, it's for you. Instead, if I can put it this way, it's a little bit like when, you know, he meets the ass in the, in the, in the wall of the donkey. And, and uh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, the angel with, he's on a donkey and he meets the angel with the angel fire and the guy says, are you for us or against us? And, and the angel says, no. <laughs> you know, I'm the commander of the Lord's army, okay? You know, you're supposed to get lined up with me. So Peter says, is this for, is this for, is it for other people? What are you doing here? Now watch where Jesus goes with this. Because we're getting to that place now that I've been telling you about. This so hard. The Lord replied, look, a faithful and sensible servant. Who is he talking to? I'm supposed to be a faithful and sensible servant, says Peter in his heart, says Kurt Brunk 2,000 years later. So this is about me. A faithful and sensible servant, I hope to be one, is the one whom the master can give the responsibility of managing his other household servants and feeding them. If the master returns and finds that the servant, yes, God has done a good job and there will be a reward, I tell you the truth, the master will put that servant in charge of all that he owns. He'll give him everything. The servant gave everything and he'll give him everything. See it? But... If the servant thinks, my master won't be back for a while, and he begins beating the other servants, partying and getting drunk. If he starts, well, he's not coming tomorrow. I'm in a slumber. It's not going to happen tomorrow. So I can pursue what I want today. 
I can clean up my act later. If he starts doing that and getting to the point where he's actually abusing other people that God loves, well, then what is do them? Let's be real. Now watch this. This is the verse. The master returned unannounced and unexpected. Listen, who's he talking to? Those disciples and us. And here, what does he say to us? Un unannounced and unexpected, and he will cut the servant in pieces and banish him with the unfaithful. Banish him with the unfaithful. It's one thing to get cut in pieces. It's another thing to be cast out for eternity. And both of them suck. Do, do we see it? I mean, if you're, if you're the disciples right now and you know he's talking to you and you're supposed to be this faithful and good servant and he's telling you, if you don't do this, this is what's going to happen to you, isn't there a part of you that kind of goes, what the heck? What did I do to deserve this? What's happening here? What's happening here in their case is something is happening that they don't know about. He's going to die and they're going to be gone and they're going to have to be faithful to his return, which, by the way, they were throughout the whole of their lifetimes. And then it's been 2,000 years since then. And I would have to say that we've been less and less faithful to his return. See, because it's been a while and we've gone into a slumber. But the bottom line is, what he says to them, to us, a servant who knows what the master wants and isn't prepared and bear out those instructions will be severely punished. Now watch this. This is amazing. Someone who does not know and then does something wrong, they'll only be punished slightly. <laughs> See what he's saying? He said, are you talking to us or are you talking to all these people? And he says, all these people don't really get it. And so in their failure, they'll only be punished slightly. But you guys are supposed to be the ones who are getting I'm not going to point at anybody. Well, you guys are the ones who are supposed to be getting it. Okay? You guys are the ones who are supposed to be getting it. And he's talking about cutting them in pieces and, and banishing them and holding them accountable because what he says, of course, is when someone has been given much, much will be required in return. You guys have walked with me and talked with me and lived with me and you know better. Us Christians have the Holy Spirit inside of us and we have walked and are you clear about something? Are we all clear about something? The Holy Spirit does better and more intimately than Jesus was able to do with his disciples. I'd have to say Jesus discipled his disciples pretty well, wouldn't you? But do you understand that when we have the Holy Spirit inside, it's an even more intimate? He said, it's better that I go away so that you'll get that helper individually, personally, individualized discipleship. He'll raise you up. You understand what's being said? We're being held to a higher standard than even the disciples were. Well, they got to walk with him so they knew. You got the Holy Spirit, you should have known even more. And you're being held accountable to it even more. And understand what God's doing. It's not that he said, we're just so disobedient, I'm just going to smack you down. Understand why he's so upset. It's because our judgment on what we fail to do is mistaken. He's the one that knows the harm that was done to somebody that he loved when he had fully sent you and you failed to go. And now they suffered because of you. Do you see it? All of a sudden, we kind of get the feeling of maybe it is okay to get cut up and banished. Right? If he, if he did that for me, he equipped me. He was going to do it through me. He was going to do all the hard work, and I just wasn't willing to show up. Well, pox is on me. Right? I can see it in your eyes. You're getting this. This is big, isn't it? This is not small. This is like, we were thinking before we walked in here that being simply obedient was great. And not being simply obedient was meh. And what we've discovered is being simply obedient is phenomenal. Much more than you could ever thought or imagined. And not being simply obedient is tragic for everybody. You, them, everything. So, how are we doing? How are we doing? American Christians, I am absolutely 100% confident 
that this church is not these averages, but let's just see how the American church is doing, okay? How doing? Are we being fruitful? Are we being prepared? Do we expect him to come, and are we evidencing that in what we do? How are we doing? 95% of all believers in America have never led anybody to Christ. It's one in 20 will ever lead anybody to Christ. 95%. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. It's on Jesus to save people. So if like 90% of people are sharing their faith and people just aren't receiving him, well, then that's on them, and it's true. The watchman, if he knows better, warns the people, the blood's on their head. The watchman, if he knows better and fails to warn the people, the blood's on his head. So let's hope for a better stat on how many people are sharing Christ, trying right? How are we doing? 90% of all Christians in America, that's the most, excuse me, advisedly, that's the most damning statistic of American Christianity there is, period. God, who made you so overjoyously, gloriously, wonderfully, you are bubbling over with rivers of living water, and you have to dam it up. That's what we have to do. Because otherwise, it's just happening. One in ten, only nine in ten Christians will never share their faith with anybody. Here's what we think about evangelism. Evangelism is going out to other people, right? And then you give them a track, and then you talk to them about Jesus, and they get saved because you're in Mexico, and it's easy to talk to people in Mexico. Because you're never going to see them again. Here's what's hard. It's Thanksgiving and it's your family and you've already shared 20 times and they've shut you down massively. But here's who Jesus is asking us to go to and nobody else. Every once in a while he'll ask you to go on a missions trip and do that. That's great and that's awesome and everything else. But here's who Jesus is asking you to go to. And, and you know why I know this? Because you're there. Your family members. your coworkers, your neighbors. That's who he sent you to. And you know why I know that? Because that's where you are. <laughs> See? And he sent you there. He put you there. You think it was because you chose a job where you wanted to live. You had no idea that a man directs his, or man makes his plans, but God directs his steps. And God is causing all things to work together for good for those 11 that are called according to his purpose. You have no idea that God has you, as we say oftentimes, you're a secret agent in your job. You, you know, let me make something clear. I am not in the position that I'm in because, or I did, I, did, I did not become a witnesser. I did not become the kind of person who would share the gospel with somebody because I became a pastor. Now that I've got this full-time job, I've got time to go out and share with people. Here's the truth of my life. I shared with people all over the place all the time, and it was probably 20 years before I got to be a pastor. And hundreds of people came to the Lord. And hundreds of people got baptized in the Holy Spirit. I just did this because that's what life is in Christ. This incredible thing had happened to me. And I learned that if I'd just be willing to do something, he would talk through me. And I wished, like I said, I wish I had a notepad and a video so I could record the great things that were happening. Because they weren't me. This is this awesome what God is doing. And I get to be a part of this. And it's the greatest thing ever. And it made me not care about all that other stuff. And then one day, God said, go ahead and do it full time. And it didn't, save, it didn't stop how much I was doing it. In fact, now I do a lot of work at the church, and that's probably even worse for me in some ways. But anyway, catch the drift. Look at this. One person of all believers in America will ever disciple another person so that the other person can disciple someone else. One percent. What, the great commandment again? Go and make What? Okay, let's just be clear before we move on to where I can make this a little better. I'm not trying to soften a blow that God's trying to deliver. But I want us to understand how easy it is to be where he wants us to be. Build my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. All who love me do what I say. My Father will love them. We will come, make our home with each of them. Anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me. You can flip that verse. Anyone who isn't bearing fruit 
is not obeying me. And you can say you love me. But the people who love me are the ones who are obeying. What I'm telling you is from the Father. Understand how serious this is. Here's who we're supposed to be. You're the ones chosen by God, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You're the ones chosen by God, chosen for the high calling of priestly work, chosen to be a holy people. He made us that way. God's instrument to do his work and speak out for him to tell others of the night and day difference he made for you. Right? Okay, I told you I was going to make this easy. Watch how easy this is. Last, uh, not last Wednesday, but the Wednesday before. So what is that? 10, 11 days ago. I, uh, I see these pants. I just got these pants. I, I buy my clothes from outlet stores and catalogs that are doing fire sales and stuff like that. And I buy jeans. And then, and I, I was going to wear the blonde jeans, but I thought I didn't want to do that today because it didn't match. But I see all these cool people wearing blonde jeans. I wish I'd have wore the blonde jeans I've got on this thing. But anyway. So I got, these, I got these cool blonde jeans, but they're always too long for me. So I got to go buy this little tailor. This is, a, this is a guy, you know, he's really inexpensive, a couple of bucks. So I save a bunch of money buying the jeans, and then I tailor them, and I got a good cheap pair of jeans. It's good quality. You can ask me, right? Good dollars, good cents. So this guy is a half a block off of my walk, okay, that walk I do every morning. So what I'll do when I get a pair of jeans, it's too long, I'll just walk by there, and I've been doing this for years, and I don't buy that many jeans, but I've been there for, you know, a, a coat that needed tailoring or something, I get fatter, and then I need to tailor my coat, so, you know, stuff like that happens. I'm getting skinnier now, so praise God, I don't know what's happening. Uh, yeah, no kidding. But anyway, with that, with that in mind, I, you know, I've gotten to be friends with this guy. Good enough friends that he knows me well, and I know him well. I know lots of things about his family. I know, for example, that his wife is Catholic and he's Buddhist. And that he really has a great respect. He knows I'm a pastor and he, he's always making jokes about it, but not unkind jokes. But he just, you know, we just have this great banter back and forth. And we have a real relationship and it's gotten a little poignant at times. It's a real relationship, right? So 11 days ago, I got two new pair of jeans from a, a closeout sale. And so I, I go by and I drop them off, and I actually did that earlier in the week. But now I'm picking them up, and it's Wednesday, and I got to my walk late, and I've got a meeting up here, and I really didn't want to be late for the meeting. I never do. I am a lot. But I really don't want to be late for it. And so, so I'm walking back, and I'm going to pick up, I, I, I go to pick up my clothes, to pick them up real fast, and then walk the other way home and have the jeans. So when I walk in, I pull out my card to give it to him, and it was yeah, you always forget, you know, I'm cash only, which helps them be cheaper. So I'm happy with that. And, but I was, I was stressed already thinking I probably shouldn't even be picking up the pants. And now all of a sudden I don't have the money, but across the street is an ATM and a QFC, so I know i got to run over there. So I go, oh, crap, run out of the building, and I go get some money, and I run back in, and I say, I don't have any time, and here's the money, and I run out the door. Now, it didn't even occur to me until Tuesday. I go on my walk. I'm asking God about life and the sermon. He gives me the sermon, the sermon I'm preaching to you right now. It's, it's awesome. I, I hope you think too, but I'm happy about what he's saying. And so the bottom line is, is I'm walking back, and I've got a little bit of time this time. And I think to myself, you know what? All of a sudden, it just occurs to me, right, when I'm at the bus stop, and right when I can turn right and go the half block off to get to him, all of a sudden it occurs to me, you know, he might have thought that I was mad at him and his policy when I ran out, when, oh crap, ran out the door, grabbed some money, and then picked up my pants and ran out. He might have thought I was mad at him. And I'm not, at all. But that could be communicated. And so I, I walk up to the building, and he meets me. Because he sees me coming, and he, and he likes me. And so he comes out, and I say, you know, I tell about my brother, and he's very nice about it, and so on. And, and then, but then I say, look, I'm here, because I ran in, ran out. And he said, oh man, don't think anything of it. I knew you were just late. I, I knew it wasn't. You weren't, that wasn't about me. And I said, great. Now watch what happens. And then he says, what do you think about this politics? What do you think of candidates? Now, I know a lot about him, but I don't know what to say here. <laughs> if you ask me right now what to say, I don't have any idea what to say. And after last night's debate, I even have less to say about that. Okay? But the bottom line is, 
is that I just, we just started talking, and he started talking, and we're sharing. You're not supposed to talk about politics and religion, right? So we talked about politics, and it naturally slid into religion. Now, I didn't realize it literally until this morning. But there was a question I missed. Right up until this morning, I thought I'd done really well. I began, and I went and I talked to him, and we had it. But this morning, all of a sudden, I realized at one point in time, he said something, and I could have easily said to him at that point in time, why are you still Buddhist? What is it that holds you there? Because your wife loves the Lord. I love the Lord. You seem very open to that. I don't understand are still holding on to Buddhism. And that would have been a very real, genuine, non-bad question. You see what I'm saying? Now, I missed it, but I just got to tell you, but here's what I want to say. Here's how hard it was to be in the Lord's will. I was walking along, and the Lord prompted me. And I walked where he prompted me to walk. How hard is that? We're talking about a scripture here that talks about being cut up in pieces and cast out forever. And all he's asking you to do to not have that happen is to just understand that he's talking all the time. And when he prompts you to go do something, you can check it. Is it really the Lord or is it just me? And if it really is the Lord, then do it. Does that sound reasonable? I mean, it does, doesn't it? It sounds okay. Like that's not too onerous, is it? I do want you to tell you I pray for that guy regularly. And I'm fully expecting that he's going to come to the Lord. I don't, it's not something I doubt. It's something I'm waiting for. Expectantly. And I'm preparing. Right? I want to just share with you something that was, and this is by closing. I want to share with you a quick little video. And this is a friend in the congregation sent me this little email with this little video link and he, he said two things I'm going to share with you in a second but this is just a video about what do you regret you may have seen it I've edited it down a little bit but what do people regret I just want you to see this Slipping away, I mean, that's probably the worst feeling in the world, right? I tried to do so many things, but I can never seem to find the time. I did all the things that were like plan B, I just never did it. <laughs> Feels like where I want to be. Feels like where I want to go. That it's not my regret anymore. It's hopeful. It means there's possibility. Yeah. 
I told you that he said two, one was to comfort me. I just want to share it because I want to say how much it ministered to me when he wrote this. He had the link, and then he said, the Bronx are human, which means we make a lot of mistakes, and we've made a lot of mistakes with this person, Dave and me. But I admire your clan for doing as well as you do against fighting against this human failing. And I'd have to say, when I look at Dave, he didn't have not regrets in his life. That he didn't do something that he felt he should do. I have to say, I have a couple, but not very many. I have very few. Jim, very few. Randy, Chip. I mean, that's cool, but this is why I'm actually sharing this email with you. I'm also reminded that when we are quickened to reach out and share our understanding of him, that the dread of misspeaking is nothing compared to the regret from remaining silent. In front of you is a little piece of paper, just a blank piece of paper and a pen too. I want you to take that blank piece of paper and while there's somebody up here doing some music behind me, I'm sorry I didn't warn you, so that's on me. But Kara, if you could just give us maybe a little background. You can come up too when you want. But, but here's that slow thing. And that, that slow thing is, is, you see what it says right there? Lord, what do you want me to do today? Here's what I want you to write on the piece of paper. Lord, who do you want me to reach out to this week and how? I don't want you to write those words down. I want you to write this those words. Who do you want me to reach out to and how? Take a minute. In Jesus' holy and precious name, we don't write this down and then walk out of here and forget it. That's why I made it the right size for you to stick in your wallet or to stick somewhere where you'll see it. Lord, in Jesus' holy and precious name, let us see this and be reminded to do it. And let's do one more thing, okay, just as a congregation. I'm going to do something about this. What's the next step I can take before Tuesday? Maybe I can't do the whole thing before Tuesday, but what's the next step I can take before Tuesday? Start the wheels in motion. So Lord, in Jesus' most magnificent name in the, in the truth and the reality and the glory that is you, have spoken a hard word to us, but you've done so in a way that we can understand and that doesn't condemn us. And if you do get condemned in this, that's from Satan. God does not condemn. He just wakes us up. Thank you for waking us up to the importance of getting ready, of being ready, of doing what you've asked while you're gone. Make us to be those faithful servants by your strong right arm by putting the right desires in our heart, by making us. We tell you, we give you the right. In our free will, we say, make me be.
that good servant. And God, I'm going to act on this thing that you just quickened to me to do, and I'm going to do it before Tuesday. And in Jesus' holy and precious name, I look to you for the results. Jesus' incredible name, reach down in front of you, would you? And pick up those cups, and then there's two cups in there. Jesus' holy and precious name, we lift this cup in which is your body, and we recognize that your body had to be wrecked because of the way that we wrecked ours, the way that we had broken ours, the things we've done that we really had no idea about, and the things that we've done that we should have known about but just didn't. We lift it because of all the people that missed opportunities that we had. We don't, we don't lament and live in the past. We live with a clean slate towards the future. But in Jesus' name, we now recognize that we've broken our lives in ways and others' lives in ways that we don't even understand. And so we put our finger in here and we, we break this bread and we listen to that crack and know that that's us. And what we do when we lift this up to you is we thank you, Jesus Christ, for going to the cross to heal all of our brokenness to heal every mistake that we made, knowing and unknowing, every opportunity missed, you, you covered, you have. So in Jesus' holy and precious name, we bring this to our lips that it might go into our hearts, that you heal. In Jesus' name, heal us. Jesus, we lift this cup in which is the life that you have for us. And we recognize as we do every week that this has already been purchased, bought, paid for, and done. We don't have to do anything else to get it. We don't have to do anything else to earn it. We can't earn it. It was given to us freely. In Jesus' holy and precious name, this life that we partake of now is simply us saying, I want the life that you have for me and not the life that I keep choosing. I choose your life, not my own. And so in Jesus' name, we take this life into us. Thank you, Lord.